Welcome to This Week in Legal Blogging for uh, February 4th, 2021. This is the program in which we talk with leading lawyers from across the industry about blogging and about their practices. This is Bob Ambrosi. I have my own blog called uh, Law Sites and also have the podcast called Law Next. And this program is presented and produced by LexBlog, providing lawyers with turnkey digital publishing solutions and strategic consulting for 16 years. Uh, find out more about LexBlog at LexBlog.com slash products and uh, find all the back episodes of this show on YouTube at YouTube.com slash LexBlog or on Apple Podcasts. And uh, very happy to uh Welcome to the show today, Angela Reddick-Wright, who is an attorney in Los Angeles, where she specializes in employment, workplace, and Title IX law, and also serves as a mediator, arbitrator, and workplace and Title IX sexual assault investigator. Angela, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here and, and, and great to meet you. Uh, I, I, I just gave the, the you know, the, the short description of your practice, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what your practice is and what you do? So I am, uh, I've been practicing law for about 25 years, um, primarily working in the area of employment and labor law. And I was a litigator. i a litigator for about 25 years. In the last 10 years, I focus exclusively on doing what we call neutral work. So on any given day, I'm working as a mediator, an arbitrator, or a workplace investigator, um, either, you know, helping to solve issues dealing with employment law. So as a mediator, I'm a neutral facilitator that helps parties resolve their issues informally. As an arbitrator, I'm sitting as a, you know, mini judge, so to speak, um, conducting hearings and ulti ultimately making a decision in an arbitration case. And then as an investigator, I'm called as a third party neutral to either investigate workplace claims or what we call Title IX claims, which you normally see in a university or a school environment. So that's what I do. Right. So after uh, litigating uh, all those years, and I assume you represented employers uh, as a litigator, is that? What I represented both sides. Did you? Yeah. So uh, what, what caused you to want to transition to being a, a neutral? Um, well, I knew early on, even as a litigator, and I loved litigation, and I think I was a good and a strong litigator, but I knew early on that my personality uh, leaned towards um, being a peacemaker, someone that likes to focus on making peace, being a peacemaker, uh, focus on resolution. Um, even in the cases that I litigated, one of the first questions I would always ask of the client or to opposing counsel is how can we focus on getting this case resolved um, you know, as soon as possible, or as soon as makes sense. And so I, as I met mediators over the years as a litigator, I said to myself, you know, one day I'm going to make that transition uh, because I think I have a personality, the patience, the listening skills, um, everything that it takes to be a great mediator. So I knew eventually I would make that transition. And I love it. Haven't looked back and am glad that I'm able to bring my skill set and knowledge and experience as an employee lawyer to the work that I that I do as a neutral. So, Angela, I'm wondering, uh, given the past year that we've we've just been through and that we're frankly still in the middle of uh, for most of us, uh, how has that impacted uh, your practice as a mediator and arbitrator? 
Well, I've been busy. Um, there was a little concern when you say this past year, so much has happened this past yeah, year. But I, let's I, say, I, well, I know. Let's, but, well, it, it, let's start with the pandemic. And, and right, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So the first concern <laughs> um, when the pandemic hit is whether we would all be working, not just mediators and arbitrators and investigators, but I'm sure lots of professionals were um, concerned about how this would impact their work. Um, So fortunately, you know, whether there's a pandemic, not a pandemic, they're always, because we're human, um, there are always issues in the workplace. So um, the issues just, um, they were similar that to what we always see issues of discrimination, harassment, but they started to change. We started to see claims that were arising out of people working from home and being remote or seeking leaves of absence and sick pay and so forth um, related to the pandemic. So I'm fortunate to say that despite the pandemic and the awful impact that it's had on our country, that there's still been a need for lawyers and for mediators and arbitrators and investigators to resolve issues that have arisen as a result of the pandemic. Um, And then, of course, and and I'll pause, but the other big thing that happened, one of the big things that happened last year is following the death of George Floyd, um, it kind of gave... breath to the Black Lives Matter movement and related movements. And so um, my year has also been busy um, kind of mediating, arbitrating, investigating claims arising out of uh, out of that movement, meaning uh, people who now in their workplaces, you know, are basically saying, hey, me too, I've suffered discrimination, whether it be in hiring or promotion or disciplinary actions. And I would, you know, I now want to bring attention to that issue. So I've spent a good part of my year also kind of dealing with the, the fallout of or the kind of increased focus around the world, honestly, on issues of race and gender and ethnicity and national origin. So it's, it's been a busy year and I'm glad that I've been able to be at the cross section and the intersection of some really important issues. Yeah, it sounds like you are uh, right there at, at the at the heart of it, uh, and and it just I'm just curious how how it happens sort of technically. I mean, given that you're we're not we're not having arbitration hearings or mediation proceedings in in the way that we used to do them. Are you conducting proceedings online? Everything's online. I literally have barely left my home office in was this the pandemic started in March so almost a year for 11 months I go out for you know essential items at the grocery store my mom lives near me I go to you know check on her other family members but my work has been 100% um, virtual yeah so uh, how do you find that as an as an arbitrator or as a mediator how do you find the way that you interact with the with the parties with attorneys to the extent they're represented by attorneys in these matters. Uh, how have you found that to work? Yeah, well, um, it's, it's different for sure, but I have found it to be effective. Um, you have to get over the, I think most people have gotten over the initial shock of everything happening online. And, right. um, you know, as a mediator and arbitrator, even as an investigator, 
key to the work I do is being able to establish trust with, you know, mostly getting the other, the parties or the, the clients that I'm working with to trust me and to, and for me to be able to assess credibility as I'm talking to people. So that's a little difficult and challenging to do through a screen, but um, it's not impossible. And I, what I do is um, the personality you're seeing now is kind of the personality that I, uh, it's who I am and it's what I exhibit. And I think that's why people call me kind of a warm, um, engaging personality, I think is, is what I'm known for. And so I try to um, use that even across the screen. Um, so I'll spend time first just chit-chatting with people. How's your day? What's going on? And usually people have some something interesting in their background, um, whether it's a book or a dog or a child or, you know, anything. And so you just use um, the, that as an opportunity to get to know people better and to break the ice. And so mm-hmm. what's different about being virtual versus in person is you have to find another way to connect with people and to establish that trust and to be able to read um, credibility when I'm serving as an arbitrator or an investigator. Um, so it's, you know, given the options, you know, say five years ago or 10 years ago when we didn't have these options, we all probably wouldn't have been working right now. The, you know, our entire legal system would just be shut down. Mm-hmm. So given, you know, the pandemic and the limited options that we have, I'm particularly grateful that um, we were prepared to, to engage in a virtual way. Yeah. Um, we like to talk about blogs here on this show. And so I wanted to ask you, you have a blog on your website. At, at what point did you decide to make that part of part of your website and part of what you do? Right, right. So I have two websites. Uh, one is my law firm website, redoclaw.com. And um, have always blogged. Um, the challenge with blogging is you have to come come up with a way to be consistent with it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look back at some old websites that I have, um, you find that the blogging was not very consistent because to blog and to blog well, um, it takes time and to come mm-hmm. up with new and fresh ideas, et cetera. So um, about, I would say about Three years ago, I really committed to blogging and making it a priority. Um, one, because it gives me a way to share my thoughts on, on any given issue related to employment law or other areas that I work in. Um, and it also helps with um, increasing traffic on your website. It gives me a way to engage on social media. Um, you know, I think the 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 thought today is that what's important about being on social media is that you're giving people information that they can use that is not just about self-promotion. So blogging gives you a way to get your thoughts out, to get your expertise out, and to share that with people that follow and are interested in what you say. And of course, it helps with search engine optimization and all of those things that make for uh, an effective digital platform. Uh, my second website is Angela Redock write.com. And that is essentially what I call a media site. I do a lot of legal commentating and on different employment issues, HR, workplace issues and trends. And so that gives me a place to blog also, but to kind of um, blog 
on, on issues of kind of more of bigger interest than um, things that my clients may be interested mm-hmm. in and to blog about issues that the media may be interested in and wanting um, to hear someone talk about. And so it gives us an opportunity to send that out to different media sources and say, hey, this is what Angela's talking about this week. Are you interested in having her, her come on to talk about it? You know, the, the, the blogs on my website might be a little more esoteric or very specific to my industry or the work I do, it may not translate to a larger audience. So having that separate media site gives me an opportunity to blog about bigger issues, still all focused on employment law, but kind of what I call what might be of more consumer interest. Right. Like like me, too, like you were talking about before. Right. uh, Exactly. Yeah. And and is there cross-pollination there in the sense, does, does, does the blog help media sources or even clients discover you and and engage with you? Um, it does. Um, again, you know, because we're regularly blogging on that site, and I blog weekly. Um, it definitely helps keep the optimization up, but more so it gives uh, myself and my team um, that helps me with my media placements the opportunity to send something out regularly to our media contacts to say, hey, this is what Angela's talking about this week. And what it does is it forces me to really sit down, think about the topic, come up with the types of points that I think are important about that topic, as opposed to generally saying, hey, you know, yeah, I kind of know something about this case or this issue. But this says, yes, she knows something about it and she's taken the time to write about it and to develop points and tips around it. Yeah. I I know you said earlier that uh, one thing you know about blogging is that consistency is important. Uh, Yes. Any other tips? I mean, what else what else uh, have you learned about about what makes a a blog work or what makes a blog successful? Um, Well, I think keeping it concise and um, succinct and to the point. And if you focus on that um, as someone who writes them, it doesn't become as so overwhelming because if you think you every blog has to be a treatise or a brief or you know something at that level then it will seem overwhelming but if you think about it as a quick 250 word 350 word maybe 500 on a you know really in-depth topic then it's not so overwhelming um and basically you know i'm i uh, avid you know, follower of the news. I have the news on all day, even on the days where it's somewhat depressing. Um, you know, which is like every thing, day these days. Right? <laughs> One of the first things I do when I um, get up is, um, you know, after my personal and meditative time is, you know, comb the newspapers. You know, I read the L.A. Times, the New York Times, Washington Post, all, you know, I, I scan them to see what topics um specifically rate relate to employment law and relate to my industry and those often get those um, articles often give me my inspiration around what my next blog will be and so I'll send myself a note or an email saying hey you know this was like today um, in California we have proposition 22 which deals with the um, on-demand uber lift industry and the independent mm-hmm. contractor status of the the employ- of the workers that work in that industry so I wrote myself a note like hey look more uh, there was a new California Supreme Court case around that so I wrote myself a note like hey you 
know, you may want to do some follow up on this or, you know, read more on this. And that might be my blog topic next week. So um, I it's always top of mind for me what I'm going to write about next. And I try to stay really top, you know, when it comes to the media work that I do, I try to stay really topical and to write about things that I think the media would be interested in. On the Red Oak Law side, those tend to be a little more specific to my my day-to-day work in practice. Mm -hmm. So I probably only do those blogs once a month or once every other month or so because they're a little more detailed. And I I want them to be helpful to my clients and the people that I service. So I try to to make them a little more in-depth. Uh, I, I know you, I know I have to let you go, but I'm just curious. Uh, you, you've obviously been been uh, very successful in your career, and and also successful in um, uh, you know getting the attention of the media, doing media appearances, and that sort of thing. And I'm wondering, you know, do you have any? What, what's your advice for a, a young lawyer who's looking to make a name for him or herself? Uh, what, what's what's a good way to do that? What's what's your sort of nutshell version of of, of how to do that? Well. Um First, I mean, I think you have to be good at what you do, right? So a young lawyer, especially, I would say, you know, focus on being a great lawyer and the rest will come. Um, Not everybody's interested in media, um, but for those who are, um, you know, they're there a lot, there's so much information out there about, you know, doing your own press and, you know, sending out your own press digests and media alerts and so forth. Um, that's certainly one way. Um, or looking for folks that special, there are lots of folks out there that specialize in doing PR for um, lawyers in particular and legal professionals. Um, so I would do research around who those folks are in my my region and uh, see what it takes to become a part of their, their roster. But I think that the, the, even they, you know, uh, you're paying them to, to help, you know, help you build your, your brand. But um, even they want to work with people who are experienced and established. So it still goes back to, you know, the first key is to to do great work, uh, to get good results, and that'll make you attractive um, to anybody, to new clients, to the media, um, to others, um, uh, podcasters, <laughs> you know, who, who want to have you on their show. So that, that, what independent of, you know, the media, I always say to young lawyers, just, you know, your first seven years should be entirely focused on getting great training and becoming a great lawyer. And then the rest works itself out. It all follows from there. Yes. Well, Angela Reddick Wright, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today and tell us about your career and your blog. It's been very uh, interesting and a real honor to meet you. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Keep up the great work that you guys do. Thanks so much. That does it for today's episode of This Week in Legal Blogging. We are here every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern. Watch for us again next week. Until then, this is Bob Ambrogi on behalf of everybody at LexBlog. Thanks for listening.